Blog Talk Radio.
and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is Saturday, uh, September the 4th, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, but we would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Once again, uh, to yet another edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal, this worldwide radio broadcast. And uh, right now we're going to uh, discuss uh, some of the upcoming features uh, in this uh, program. The program features our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on a statement made by Republic of South Africa President Cyril Ramaphosa noting that the ruling African National Congress Party will face greater scrutiny as a result of the state capture's report. 
Ethiopian analysts are speaking out against the bias shown by Western media uh, towards the existing government of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. Unrest in the border areas between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Uganda uh, may prompt action uh, by uh, the Ugandan armed forces. And a Malian police commander arrested in connection with a coup arrived out uh, with a coup carried out uh, last year has been broken out uh, of uh, detention by law enforcement personnel. In the second hour, in recognition of the 42nd annual Detroit Jazz Festival, uh, which is being held virtually uh, this weekend uh, for the second year in a row, we look back at the lifetimes and contributions of jazz greats Art Tatum and Phineas uh, Newborn Jr. Uh, finally, we review uh, current events uh, in Africa and uh, the international community. And uh, right now, we're going to take a musical and uh, feature Ethiopian jazz musician, uh, Mulatu Astake. Uh, this is from a live album titled Timeless. And uh, Mulatu Astake, uh, well-known, well-respected uh, jazz musician, uh, both uh, in Africa as well as in uh, the United States. Uh, this album features numerous uh, artists, including uh, bass clarinet, Blaze clarinetist, uh, flautist, and soprano saxophonist Benny Maupin. Uh, Tony Austin is on drums, as well as Mujongo Jackson. Trevor Ware on uh, both electric. We have Don Ubik, uh, electric piano and organ, Brandon Coleman. Percussion, uh, Alan Leitner. Uh, tenor saxophone, Azar Lawrence. Trombone, Joel Yetinor, Phil Rani. Trumpet and Fugelhorn by Tom by Todd Simone and vibraphone percussion also by Murato Astake. And, of course, uh, there's a viola by Miguel Atwood Ferguson. So let's listen in uh, to uh, this album entitled Timeless uh, by Murato Astake. Thank you. 
Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the sound of uh, Ethiopian jazz artist and composer, arranger, Latu Astake, and, uh, of course, uh, live performance uh, there. And uh, Latu Astake uh, has performed uh, with numerous uh, jazz artists uh, from uh, Africa as well as uh, the United States. Uh, such as uh, Duke Ellington and Benny Maupin, uh, who we heard uh, on those recordings uh, just concluding. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, uh, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, September 4th, uh, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, this is the Labor Day weekend in the United States. And normally in the city of Detroit, in the downtown area, there's the annual Detroit Jazz Festival, which features uh, numerous jazz artists from around the world. And uh, for the last two years, 2020 and this year, 2021, uh, the festival is completely virtual. Um, Many uh, outstanding artists are performing um, via streaming and also radio uh, streaming. Uh, There is also a broadcast uh, over uh, one of the local cable television stations. Last night, uh, the festival was opened uh, by Herbie Hancock and his aggregation, uh, which uh, was quite inspiring and illuminating. Uh, Other artists, uh, such as Gregory Porter, uh, D.D. Bridgewater, among many others, uh, Kenny Garrett, are performing uh, uh, today, uh, tomorrow, as well as uh, concluding on Monday. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. These are some of the headlines from the Pan-African Newswire uh, for today. President Cyril Ramaphosa has warned uh, the ruling African National Congress that it will come under scrutiny uh, when the state capture inquiry reports back on its findings in October. Ramaphosa confirmed at the party's reporter uh, yesterday, well, earlier today, in fact, uh, that the report will be released in October. He has also stated that it will be made public for transparency purposes. Ramaphosa said specific allegations have been leveled against leaders and employees, and there was a concerted drive to tie these allegations to the ANC and portray a picture of a corrupt party. He told the reporter that the party has to prepare itself for implementation of uh, the recommendations uh, from the inquiry. And in uh, regard to the current uh, political and foreign policy situation in the Horn of Africa, state of Ethiopia, Ethiopia could ease uh, the impacts of some international news media companies' biased reports on current affairs, working together with other global outlets known for ethical and professional journalism, actors in the media industry have said. African affairs media expert Umira Ridi told local media that it is evident that some corporate media with offshoots in Ethiopia have been presenting uh, the current situation of the country in a false light. The government of Ethiopia has not fully regulated biased reports and attempts to impose hidden agendas under the name of journalism. Uh, the expert noted that the working closely and widely uh, with international media outlets, which have unbiased media coverage and impartial sentiment, 
would lessen the influence, but it would also give the opportunity to correct their biased media coverage. It is unfortunate to witness some global news media companies denying the terrorist TPLF committed treasonous acts against the Northern Command, even if leaders of the criminal group publicly admitted it. Diplomacy and international relations lecturer Dendali Nagusi said for his part that the government should work proactively with big media companies with offshoots in Ethiopia and provide them timely and accurate information. Big mainstream media have been organized as local and foreign, and both the electronic, print, and digital media serve as propaganda machines serving the interests, uh, the national interests of the respective countries. The news media companies are under their country's foreign affairs office. And Dali further highlighted that everything is organized by foreign affairs ministries of each country to enable the media companies to strengthen, protect, and defend the national interests. By the same token, Addis Gittishal and Delu, a news agency, Ethiopia's correspondent, said that the international media have been widely presenting the legitimate government and TPLF rebels in equal status in their reports. Overlooking the federal government side of the story is also the defining character of most Western media while covering the current situations inside the country. The veteran journalist pointed out, however, that media professionals have faced difficulty to access high-level Ethiopian government officials to balance news reports. Pertinent officials are not readily available to give information when journalists want to utilize them as news sources. Expediting the capacity of Ethiopian mainstream media with different content and languages is crucial in providing timely and accurate information to the target audience, Adis remarked. And you can get more of these reports uh, by logging on to the Ethiopian Herald. Uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, Abayomi Azikwe. And uh, in other news, the Kivu Security Barometer has said that 19 civilians were at the end of August in Benin North Kivu, and at least 80 were murdered uh, since July. The non-governmental organization just confirmed with the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs said in a newsletter released uh, on August 23rd, uh, spoke of the continuing deteriorating situation in Benin. The insecurity has spread across the border into Uganda, where machete-welding men are alleged to have killed close to 30 people in less than two weeks in the central districts. President Uwari Museveni has blamed the killings on the Allied Democratic Forces rebels who have operated in the rest of Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo since 1996. Last week, Museveni said that he was in talks with the Democratic Republic of Congo counterpart, President Felix Chesakete, over the possibility of deploying uh, the Ugandan People's Democratic Forces to Eastern DRC to flush out the insurgents. Plans and orders for killing our people are coming from the terrorists in eastern Congo. We are continuing to discuss with President Chesakete about eliminating their cancer, Museveni said. A source at the DR Congo Embassy in Kampala, however, told the East African that while the issue has come up in recent meetings between the two presidents, nothing has been agreed on. Ugandan Foreign Affairs Junior Minister Henry Okello Oriem 
told uh, the East African on Wednesday that while he was not privy to the talks, but was aware that the two countries were sharing intelligence on uh, the ADF, Congolese authorities suspect uh, some parliamentarians are secretly financing and maintaining the militias in order to continue illegal mining. Recently, Christophe Mboso, Speaker of the National Assembly, shocked many when he asked parliamentarians from Kivu to, quote, leave the rebels, unquote. In March, the United States blacklisted the ADF and its leader, Saka Musa Baluku, of having links uh, with the Islamic State. In his speech last week, uh, President Museveni hit out at the UN-mandated MINUSCO, branding it a failure. He said he was looking to engage the five permanent representatives of the United Nations Security Council on the fact that MINUSCO's presence in the Democratic Republic of Congo was no deterrent to rebels' activities. It is not correct uh, for MONUSCO to coexist with the terrorists in eastern Congo that continue to massacre Congolese and us, the neighbors. That's according to uh, Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni. He said that the terrorists that eventually attacked our brothers in Mozambique were for a long period preparing themselves in eastern Congo. Person Matthias Gilman told the East African that, quote, we cannot downplay the difficulties and the challenges that remain in the eastern provinces of the DRC and the work that remains to be done in support of the national security forces against local and international armed groups and militias. And uh, finally, in the West African uh, state of Mali, there have been new developments uh, on the political as well as the security front. According to the Nation uh, newspaper based in Nairobi, Kenya, an article by Kimo Cham says that angry police officers on yesterday stormed a prison facility in Bamako, the capital of Mali, and freed a top commander. The officer had been detained in connection to the 2020 deadly anti-government protests that led to the toppling of the then regime of Ibrahim Bubaka Keita. Mr. Umar Samake, commander of the Special Anti-Terrorist Forces, uh, an elite uh, unit within the Malian police force is wanted by the authorities for his role in the brutal suppression of the protests. He was placed under arrest on the orders of a court in Bamako yesterday. Hundreds of protesting police officers uh, from the unit marched towards Bamako Central Prison, where he was being held, and freed him. The protesters blocked the streets leading to the prison. The arrest of Commander Samake was part of efforts by the transition government to fulfill demands by pro-democracy campaigners to bring to justice perpetuators of human rights violations in relation to the protests. For three days, 10, 11, and 12 of July of 2020, protesters occupied the streets of Bamako as the dying regime of Keita desperately struggled to survive by deploying armed security forces on the streets. According to official accounts, there were 14 deaths resulting from the clashes with security forces. By the political opposition at the time put the deaths at 23. Investigations into the killings were opened in December of 2020. Police leaders defended the action of their men yesterday, arguing that Mr. Samake's detention didn't follow the right procedure. 
judicial officials, however, say that the investigations against Mr. Samake will continue. Mali is under a political transition led by a military president who is under pressure to organize elections and transfer power to a civilian administration by February of 2022. With that story, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the world, throughout the continent. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, uh, all you have to do is go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you would like to uh, log on to this Pan-African Journal for today, uh, the worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, September 4th, 2021, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at Blog Talk Radio dot com forward slash pan african journal as blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan african journal and um, programs can be shared uh, with other potential listeners via email blogs and websites social media networks such as facebook and twitter we'll take a break uh, with uh, billy holiday uh, who's talking about the coming autumn in new york
lifts you up when you're let down. Lunch at the Ritz will tell you that it's divine. This awesome in New York transforms the slums into Mayfair. You'll need no castle in Spain Lovers that bless the dark On benches in Central Park Greet autumn in New York It's good to live in Again. Uh, Labor Day weekend uh, in uh, the United States, and we are broadcasting from the city of Detroit, uh, right on the border uh, with uh, Canada and uh, the Great Lakes, and, of course, uh, every uh, Labor Day uh, for the last 42 years has been the Detroit Jazz Festival. Yet, uh, due to the pandemic, it's been held uh, virtually uh, in 2000 and again this year in 2001. And uh, we are, um, of course, jazzing things up uh, in recognition of uh, the Detroit Jazz Festival, which uh, opened up last night with the legendary uh, Herbie Hancock and there's, of course, uh, Gregory Porter, D.D. Uh, Bridgewater, and others, including um, young African-American uh, jazz musician Alan Denard, uh, right here from Detroit, uh, Kenny Garrett as well. So uh, right now we want to move into a doc on uh, two jazz legends. That is Art Tatum and Phineas Newborn, Jr., uh, these two pianists of course, uh, remain in the most highest esteem uh, among uh, artists uh, in the United States as well as internationally. Let's listen in uh, to this documentary. Welcome to Like It Is. This edition will focus on the piano and two men of exceptional proficiency at that instrument, Art Tatum and Phineas Newborn. We'll get underway in just a moment. If you've got a dollar and you've got a daily news, you might already be a millionaire. Check your dollar, check the news, and play Millionaire Lucky Bucks only in the day. The piano is an instrument that many credit with having origins in Africa and was additionally developed in Europe. 
Here in this nation, many have drawn great beauty out of the piano, but few have matched the two pianists that we explore today. Art Tatum is generally acknowledged as the colossus of the instrument. Although he died on November 4th of 1956, musicians still speak his name in awe. We'll try to show you why. Phineas Newborn is alive. He's in his early 50s. One might regard him then as a musical offshoot of Art Tatum, and a brilliant one. There's glory and sorrow in the story of Mr. Newborn, a diminutive man with a technique that could take your breath away. today, some 25 years later. Like it is filmed him at the Sweet Basil nightclub in Greenwich Village in late 1983. There was a marked difference in the man. He is physically aged, but even more obvious was his playing. He was good, but somehow not quite the same. His playing seemed hesitant, as though he wasn't as sure of himself anymore.
we say here is most difficult to express, this man is a revered artist who is still making a living at his craft. Mr. Newborn is in his early 50s and should still be in the fullest cry of his abilities. And even without functioning at his full measure of brilliance, he's still better than most. And yet it's perhaps because of his importance as an artist that we feel compelled to note his decline and try to find out why it occurred. Jamil Nasser was the bassist with Mr. Newborn at our filming. Mr. Nasser has known Phineas since they were kids. Oh, since I was about four years old. Really? Mm -hmm. We lived uh, about a block and a half from one another. Really? And he was born in that house. I was born in the house about ten blocks away. And then we moved closer when I was four years old. When did you start getting interested in music and when did he? Well, you know, that's a tough question because I think it happened in, uh, by a natural process for me. I really wanted to be in sports. And uh, so I got a much later start than Phineas because Phineas had a piano teacher almost ever since I knew him. And uh, I know he went through piano teachers so fast. You know, he outgrew them at a rapid pace. Mm. And uh, I think his first piano teacher was the most impressive to him because she, when she gave him the basics, this is the way of genius. Once he knew the basics, he had all the rest figured out. You know, that's the difference between genius and ordinary people like myself. <laughs> what was the attraction in sports? Boxing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So then when did you get the message that boxing was not for you and perhaps something else would do, namely music? Well, one night after I won, I looked in the mirror and I couldn't believe it. I after wrote, you won? Yeah, a unanimous decision. And I said, no, that's not for me. I was sort of like Muhammad Ali about my face. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, no. So I went down to the band the following day and then missed the to play tuba in the band. But you remain close friends with Phineas in Memphis. Always, yeah. Always. It was a family of brothers. Two brothers, yes. Calvin Newborn, the guitarist. Fine guitarist. And he also played flute. And uh, he played trombone. And Phineas played anything he touched. Really? Phineas could play trumpet, saxophone, uh, just drums, anything. Well? Well, exceptionally well. He could have been either one of those that he wanted to be and would have been, had to be something to deal with. How old was he when he was a fully developed talent? Oh, 12 or 13. Really? Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, they, he was always being pulled out of school to do special performances, you know, at the city hall and different schools around the city. He was gone more than he was in school. Was he playing jazz or all kinds of music? Well, you know, he had uh, a talent for playing almost anything. He was a boogie-woogie specialist. Uh, he had a rhythm and blues act, you know, with his father's band. And uh, they could send people into a frenzy, you know, just from the piano. He was always uh, a swinger, more or less. And he had the technique all along. You know, I can't remember when he didn't have the technique. That, uh, you know, a lot of people make issue over technique. Uh, we never were impressed with technique. You know, and we never thought of Finney's as having technique. We just thought of him as a guy who could play, who could just play anything that comes in his head. 
sort of stand your own in, you know. Hmm. Where did he get that influence from uh, when he really hit the scene big in the 50s? Well, he really started blowing everybody Well, you away. know, we, uh, see, Memphis was a city. It's unfortunate because New Orleans got all the publicity. But you have to remember that Jimmy Lossford's band came out of Memphis. W.C. Handy, when he got to Memphis, he couldn't leave, you know? And that's when you start getting all that wonderful music of W.C. Handy. And at that time, he had been to New Orleans, he had been to Kansas City, he had been, you know, all the places. But it was so much happening on Beale Street in variety. And we were raised in that variety, plus the level of artistry uh, that was demanded of us. You know, we had to be excellent. And we had excellent teachers like Bill Harvey and Anze Horn and uh, just a whole group of people that made sure that we would not be ordinary musicians. Well, now, how did they exact these demands on the bandstand? Or was there a school? Or was there no, after-hours no, joints? No, it was OJT, on-the-job <laughs> trading. You know, they would fire you in a second if you weren't doing it. But on the other hand, they expected you to come back and ask them how to do it. You know, so it was uh, a general, very general treatment in some cases and a very rough treatment in others. Because if they saw that you were kidding around when you should be serious. They were very hard on you. How would they be hard on you? What would they do? Well, I'll give you there? a perfect example. Um, Bill Harvey, who was an excellent arranger and an excellent saxophonist, tenor saxophonist, would uh, tell you, learn these songs well. And then one night he would come on and he'd say, okay, we're going to play this a third higher, you know, which means, you know, a third higher than the key that you're accustomed to. And then he say, one, two, one, two, three, four, and you were expected not to make any mistakes. And when you did, he could make his eyes this big, you know, and in front of all the public and everything. He didn't have to say anything. He would just come to you and just stare, you know, and the people would be going crazy. Well, you'd be so embarrassed that that would never happen again. Other times, I was fired from the back of a dance hall, and there was only one way out and family and friends and neighborhood people and everybody were there. But the guy knew what he was doing. So in other words, you had to learn your music in all keys, all your tunes you had to know in all keys. If, you, you, if you knew it, you were supposed to be able to play it anywhere it was called. And that was our foundation. And Phineas, getting back to Phineas, he was laughing at those little problems that we were having because he had taken that and he had gone on somewhere else. You know, he became an island early. What do you mean when you say an island? Well, see, when you pass over from just being, uh, say, exceptionally great into genius, then you become an island. You know, like the R. Tatums, even Louis Armstrong. You know, after he passed a certain point, he became an island. You take uh, Charlie Parker. You know, this is genius. So after they pass a certain point, you can't compare. See, I wasn't excited uh, by Bud Powell, you know, as the New Yorkers were when I came. Because first of all, we had heard Phineas, and we had heard Oscar Denard. See, that's another genius from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. And they used to meet, and it would be like more music than you'd ever want to hear. 
Was Phineas a contemporary of Bud Powell? I would have thought Bud would have, was much older than... Yeah, yeah, we all came up listening to Bud. You understand? But he wasn't as exciting as Phineas. Let me put it that way. Because Phineas was two-fisted. <laughs> prepared us in such a way that uh, they made were already in the promised land that's right that's right and see we had bill street was more history happened on bill street i think than almost any other place in the country over the years you know like kansas city had a period you know when prez and charlie park and all of detroit had a period when bad and you know and all that group were out there then you had chicago you know they had the johnny griffins and like that but see, what Memphis had, you know, everybody who came here to Chicago, New York, and places like that, they came from the South. You know, everybody who was anything came from that long line, mm. that long lineage, going back to pre-W.C. Handy, to pre-Jimmy Lunsford. And Bill Street was active. It was action all the time. So this is the soil out of which Phineas grew. That's right. Ma Rainey, you know, the, the whole works. You know, we had some terrific, dynamic people down there. And for, I guess, about a decade, maybe two, mm -hmm. he was just blowing everybody away. That's with right. scorching That's uh, right. technique. As a matter of fact, he was, he was our secret weapon. <laughs> you know, people who didn't know him, we'd let, we'd slip him on, in on them, you know, because you'd take a pianist, a horn player, come in town, and oh, he, so Phineas was our secret weapon. You know, we'd go wake him up out of the bed and say, come on, here's a guy out here, man. He's really playing better than you. And, you know, this <laughs> got his dialed up, so when he would uh, get there, he would really show off, you know.
I've just had one of my best buying trips ever. It was so good, I think I'm in trouble. We're already stocked to the rafters with carpets from America's top mills. To make room, I'm cutting the price of my 12 best-selling carpets in half Monday and... and I came to New York together in 1956. That's a vow that we made as children almost, that we would come to New York together. Uh, he came to New York under one of the biggest press campaigns. I think of any musician. I don't think our Tatum got the press. We had three-page spread in Esquire, the whole works, and uh, till then, no jazz artists had been in, no black jazz artists had been in Esquire at all. I don't even think Nat Cole had been in there. Not even Ellington, huh? Which was, you know, Nat Cole was a great influence on all of us, too. But uh, when we got to New York... As a pianist, Nat was. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. He impressed us on his uh, piano. Uh, we got to New York, and, uh, you know, the glitter and the glamour of this and that. And... Uh, Phineas was a person who didn't ever have to take care of any business, you know? Everything was laid out for him, you know? As a matter of fact, uh, his father spoiled him, and I think we all spoiled him, because we wouldn't let him do anything for himself. So what would be a small problem to you, a normal person, was a big one to him. So when he got the biggies, well, came from... Uh, bad business arrangements and uh, at one point in his life he stood up and he wanted to be his own man and he said I want to record for this record company I want to go with this booking agency I want to do that and what happened there was a boycott put on Phineas and I call it a white list you know we have many victims this is white list has caused a lot of great American tragedies and I can go all the way back to Blind Tom, you know, and show you these tragedies. I can itemize them all the way up. Uh, whereas when you go on that white list, nothing ever works for you again. And you, you never come off of it. You mean he tried to break away from the established order? The established order that was laid out for him. He tried to... He wanted to change that order. There were a few major uh, booking conglomerates, and he tried to break away from them right. without calling Sometime names. when you lift the covers, you see strange bedfellows. And so when you think you're just working with this booking agency or that record company or that this and that, that, you'll find that it's all... They're all in the family. So when one says thumbs down, not only do that little conglomerate that says thumbs down, but everything around it says thumbs down. His wife was pregnant with the first child. No work. No possibility of any work. A genius like that. Just think about that. You know, that's, that gets me all over again, you know. No possibility. Anyway, uh, Roy Haynes and I hired him to work in Birdland for, for a three-week engagement. And we decided we were going to split the money in thirds because we knew that Dottie was pregnant and that that baby would be coming at any time, snow on the ground and all this. His money was going to sheet. Anywhere he worked, his money was going to sheet. So I just finished telling you that what was a big problem, a small problem to you was a big one to him. 
you know? And he had a nervous breakdown. He had a nervous breakdown. And, uh, you know, we speak of the joy and the sorrow. I don't think that there would be any need for sorrow if this man hadn't been boycotted out of the industry. You know, he's flying dormant in Memphis. And if he was out here applying his craft, you know what people ask me when I try to tell them about Phineas Newborn and some clubs? What is his hit record? Genius don't need a hit record. So, you know, this is, uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes he seemed to be tentative on certain things, he has every right to be. Lucky Thompson was put on a white list some years ago. Saxophonist. One of our very important people. I mean, our important, he's one of our most important saxophonists. He fits right into the scheme of things. Somebody didn't like him up there. And they said, you're finished in this business all over the world. And you never heard another Lucky Thompson record? You never heard uh, another of another engagement by Lucky Thompson. That's another uh, great American tragedy. He's somewhere on an island in South Carolina. Who knows what he's doing? Maybe he's on medication too. He could be on medication too. So, so saying this is part of a plan? Or it's, a, it's a definite plan. Now, let me tell you this, what the very recent is. I'm seeing white artists coming out of retirement because the pieces are in place where they're burying the genius, they're burying the kings. The kings are being buried, the Frank Fosters. Look, if Frank Foster wrote Shiny Stockings, remember that? One of Count Basie's hits. If he had been in the white skin, that would carry him for the rest of his days. The same like Blue Zed carried Tooth Stillman. That's the only one he wrote, right? The Moon. Frank Foster, King. George Coleman, King, Lou Donaldson, King, and he go, Ahmed Jamal, wait a minute, if he was Liberace, if Liberace could play like that, are you kidding? Come on now. Let's get down to brass tacks. There's a plan afoot to smother the kings and replace them with white kings. Thus, the joy and the sorrow of a consummate artist, Phineas Newborn. Though his story is indeed one of sorrow, at the same time, he has left us a rich recorded legacy. And for those who care to listen, we can find great joy. in a moment, Art Tatum.
Tatum was born on October 13, 1910, in Toledo, Ohio, legally or technically blind. No vision at all in one eye, very limited vision in the other. Tatum's parents were musical. His mother played piano. His father from North Carolina played guitar, although not professionally. By the time Art Tatum was 20 years old, he was a fully developed pianist, although he had been dabbling in music since he was a mere toddler. Interestingly, he didn't start out at the piano. The violin was his first choice, but things didn't go well at that instrument, and he shifted to the piano. Tatum's awesome technique and style was the outgrowth of the style of many pianists who had preceded him, like Mead Lux Lewis. monumentally gifted pianist, although this clip doesn't reveal it, who was a major influence on Art Tatum. And then there was Earl Father Hines, who emphasized the right hand, incorporating strong octaves with dazzling runs. Tatum listened closely and copped. Art Tatum took these styles, embellished and extended it to staggering proportions. Tatum was truly and richly endowed by the musical gods with a talent that forced all musicians with any sense to stop dead in their tracks and listen whenever and wherever he played. Many of his contemporaries found him terrifying because of his artistic prowess. Also, Art Tatum was on the bill. It was Benny Carter's band, King Cole Chill, and Art Tatum. He's a pretty fair piano player. Oh! <laughs> Did he have the same impression on you? Uh, of me? Yeah, of did he have the same, you know, did he make the same impact on you? Did he share? Oh, yeah, I'm afraid so. He made the same impact on everybody. To underscore the weight of Mr. Peterson's statement, let's take a look at Peterson's playing. greatness speaks in such revered tones of Art Tatum, maybe you can get an idea of what Art Tatum's ability was about. To me, he still is the all-time genius of the instrument, and I don't bar the classical field when I say that. I include the classical field in it for a very definitive reason. 
uh, and I don't want to start a big controversy about this, but I feel that it's one thing to be able to play classical music, and I, I'm not speaking disparagingly about it because there are some geniuses in that field also, obviously. But for a man to come up with the kind of improvisational depth and conception and control that he had and the pianistic uh, insights that he had, the harmonic and tonal sense and rhythmic balance that he had, this is unusual. And when you see classical players, and I won't call names, but well-known classical players scurrying down to listen to a jazz pianist, uh, there's something going. And Art Tatum was that kind of genius. He was a master of the keyboard. Suffice it to say that his dominance as a pianist was total. Whether they played the European classics or the American classics, they all acknowledged that Tatum was a master. Yet, Tatum was denied the prestige that his greatness certainly deserved. He didn't make a lot of money, nor did he appear in many films. In the few that he was in, very little of his music was heard without dialogue over it or without the conflict of other melody instruments. Aside from a few stills and even fewer motion picture clips, that's about it. But his musical excellence was such that we nonetheless must try to give you a sense of his greatness. Jackie Byard is a contemporary pianist who was greatly influenced by the music of Art Tatum. Much of his technique approaches the Tatum-esque, and in listening to him play, one gets a sense of what was involved in playing anything like an Art Tatum.
Wyatt. Do you remember the first time you heard our tale? Yes, sir. 1943, 41. Were you playing the piano at the time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was your reaction? Stunned. You understand what I mean? Because uh, I never thought I was We were listening to Basie, Waller, King Cole. And uh, most of us were listening to those piano players. And he comes a man that just completely uh, destroys that whole syndrome of just regular piano playing. And including the piano playing of people like uh, James P. Fast. Hmm. It's stunning. You know, Morris. Say, what the hell is he doing, bro? What is he doing? Did he have that effect on all the piano players? Most of them? Most, most piano players uh, that have a knowledge of the piano itself and the historical fact of the piano. There are some piano, I've heard it state that he didn't play hip, they said. <laughs> So I, I accept that, you know. So he didn't play hip. But I thought he played wonderfully and great and graciously, too. Yeah. Well, tell me what it is that made him such an extraordinary pianist. Let's take it apart. What was it that made him so great? Well, his uh, use of uh, most of the piano techniques of, say, pianists, back in 1700, right up to 18, right up to today. He used all of the techniques, plus adding his own concept. Uh, that, is, that is to say, so especially toward uh, uh, reharmonization. And as I stated before, completely becoming involved not only in your, your simple intervals, but your compound intervals. And here lately, I've discovered he even went into, I call it auxiliary compound intervals. And that is the harmonic approach within the three octaves of the piano. One, two, three, yeah. And there's certain things that he would play that's included in the scope here, because your simple intervals only include the triads and sevens and so on and so forth. Well, then he became involved with the compound intervals, which uh, include all the degrees from the two or three octaves from the ninth degree right up to the 15th, the 23rd, and the 4th, and all the other degrees included in the three octaves. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some analysts might not agree, well, however, if they don't agree with it, I say that's, that's through my analysis, that's the scope of his... So, so one of the great uh, tools that he had was his sense of harmony, the way in which he sense developed sense of harmony, harmony and rhythm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that he timing. It wasn't that he was just fast. No, it wasn't that. He just was a very knowledgeable person, obviously, because he studied a great deal. Well, historical facts state that he did study uh, a piano from the uh, piano players back.
According to my research on it, it's the pentatonic scale derived from the major diatonic scale, which is the fourth. There's your major diatonic scale, the fourth and seventh degree omitted. Right? There's your pentatonic scale. He used to use that, especially in descending uh, arpeggios and descending runs. Uh, this scale, it's it's stated they didn't know whether it, was, uh, that it originated in uh, Scotland or Africa. Well, it's a big joke to me because, let's say it's in Africa because uh, there are several other people that uh, have gone into the study of this pentatonic scale. Like well, Paul Robeson, you say, yeah, and then there's uh, Debussy, of course, had gone to Africa. And uh, he didn't go to China or Japan because travel at that time was pretty good. Well, to go to Africa was no problem, especially being in Europe. And I know he used, uh, all the impressionistic uh, people used this scale quite extensively. Give me an example of how Art used the pentatonic scale. Well, he, he would uh, possibly give a like a... Northeast winter is here. And if you don't want to go through it again this year without front-wheel drive, it's time to see your Datsun dealer. He has a full line of high-mileage front-wheel drives to help you through snow and ice. Get the jump on old man winter now, while we still have a great selection. Because your Datsun dealer can make winter driving fun again. Come alive. Come drive the front-wheel drive at your nearby Datsun dealer. He was one of America's most powerful mobsters. Now his daughter reveals his relationship with Frank Sinatra in this week's Star. I'll tell you why I'll never forgive Sinatra and how my father was connected to Hollywood stars. Plus his intimate link to the Kennedys. It's the inside story of my life as a mafia princess. Also in the Star, meet Hollywood's happiest loser, James Coco. With a special diet that finally worked for me. And if it helped me lose weight, it may help you. Find out where everyone finds out. Check out the Star this week. Team up with Stormfield Spencer Christian and Ira Joe Fisher. Here's to the team. We're with you all the way. Team up with Eyewitness News. Going back to that rare Tatum clip we showed earlier, you may not have noticed the guitarist in his group. His name, Lloyd Tiny Grimes. Mr. Grimes was with Tatum for several memorable years. It was an honor, but it was not too much of a pleasure because uh, I hadn't been playing that long. The experience wasn't there. I, uh, and I used to call myself, and it is you laugh at me, I used to call myself the low man on the Tatum pole. <laughs> and uh, they would always kid me, but uh, I used to, uh, I think I stayed there so long as an A for effort. I tried so hard. With only having four strings, you know. Well, uh, what was the hardest thing about trying to keep up with him? Uh, what well, made it so hard? The man, uh, he was so gifted. It was, uh, it was, I couldn't play my guitar for looking at him. 
you know, see his hands going, you know, and uh, until it was quite a while till I could get accustomed to being in that environment, you know. And uh, uh, during the intermissions, uh, we were playing at a place, they would have to come get me because I'd be downstairs practicing, trying my best, you know, practicing uh, to keep up with it. He and Slam, well, they got, first of all, they got the perfect pitch. You could hear an automobile horn blow, they can tell you exactly what key or is between the keys or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're gifted people, you know. Did they do a lot of rehearsing? No. None. The whole time we were together, I think we had, I, I would say, a half of a rehearsal. We made an attempt uh, in Washington, uh, and uh, it was a nightclub we were playing, uh, Crystal or Caverns or something. And um, while we were trying to get Minuet and G together, there were people around, you know, it was a little bar and uh, customers were coming in, and we couldn't get nothing done. But people would say, hey, play something, you know, I did it. We tried to practice and get something. That's the only rehearsal we ever had, and didn't finish that, and we never had another rehearsal. So then, how you just had to be ready to go into whatever he went into? Yes. Uh, wherever his hands hit the piano, that's where he started playing. Then In no any matter, key? No matter what key. I remember the first thing he dropped on me was uh, Rosetta in B natural. And I said, man, <laughs> then uh, the pace would be terrific, really going. And he would turn around to me, he used to call me grimy. <laughs> He said, okay, Grammy, you got it. I said, I don't want it. <laughs> it's too out of y'all got it, man. And it was uh, uh, such an effort to try to keep up with those guys that I had uh, quite a bit of solos planned. I don't know what I was going to do because they were going so fast all the time. Did he ever leave you musically? Leave me? How do you mean? Did he ever hang you? Oh, I will always <laughs> you with. I was always, it was a guessing job to try to uh, to play and the, and the songs that he would pick were out of sight, you know, no one else hardly even played them. Mm -hmm. Then when they were played, most of them were so fast. What do you think is involved, just to give our audience, many of whom are not musicians, what is involved in developing into the kind of pianist that he was? Practice and study. Plenty of practice. Hour after hour, year after yeah, year. Yeah, more than obvious. You must have practiced a great deal. Yeah, of course. Uh... Now, I notice that you play sort of flat-fingered, and yeah. and word has it that Art did too. Yeah. But we understand that most music teachers, quote unquote, classic. You're supposed to curl your fingers when you Yes, play. well, that happens. We do that. Uh, I know sometimes I'll play like that also. But the fact that we're involved, as I said before, with uh, the uh, compound intervals, and you're going to play a chord, and you have to stretch your hand, you, you very well can't do it like that. However, if you're playing like this, it's good for playing Bach, Mozart, and the facility that you're ability to articulate the tones neatly and clearly. It's good for that technique, but the impressionistic technique and the technique that uh, we use as piano players.
It's uh, much more comfortable because you're going to hit that chord, that chord, or so you're going to see. There's no way I could hit that with my hands cupped. I'd look pretty sick. Yeah, well, it's impossible, you know? <laughs> so you have to more or less keep your fingers at that level, which is a good level. And it's a, more of a natural position also, see, rather than this. See? Well, then that's open for debate, you know. <laughs> Tatum, uh, then, what does he really mean to you? What does he mean to Jackie Byer? Well, he's one of my, let's say, first teachers, more or less, uh, uh, through watching him, you know. Uh, I remember seeing him back at, at 52nd, on 52nd Street, Bill with the man I name drop, uh, with Earl Garner, mm -hmm. uh, a fellow named Ernie Washington, and I paid him on the same bill. Mm. 50 seconds, I think it was the uh, three deuces or the keyboard, all for two bucks and a quarter, three beers. I got juice that night. And uh, <laughs> here, and one of the first uh, things that I learned from watching him was the use of his uh, parallel thirds in motion and uh, his. Uh, and the pentatonic scale here. Show them. If, yeah, if I may say, uh, see, I think I use it in one of the. Now that's on the white keys. Now on the black key. Just doing, just cutting his fingers this way here, back and forth, and he'd get all these different effects. And it's a good thing for technique. Um, a contemporary sound, you can really get some nice effects, especially with the black and the white keys. That was one lesson. He showed you anything you could, but the only thing you had to catch it. You know, he wouldn't sit down and pick it out to you, show you like that. You know, you could sit up there and watch him all night and then play, and he'd play anything that you'd ask him. But I, I don't think even if, uh, if he were to sit down and show you that you couldn't do it, because he, he just had that gift. He could do more things with one hand and then two, three guys could do with both hands. Was it a gift or was it that he just practiced harder than anybody else? I never saw him practice. As long as I was with him, I never saw him practice. None of us practiced. I did the practicing, you know. Where do you think he got that style? Who influenced him to approach his instrument like that? I don't know. From what I've heard, he was just an unknown guy in Toledo, playing like this, and, uh, and this singer, I forgot what the name was, um, heard him. And she brought him to New York, and the word got out immediately. Oh yeah, and then the thing of it is, see, these uh, when he first hit town, they ganged up on him. They called all the good piano players to the after-hour spot in some basement, uh, and they would all come around and play. I mean, all from Jersey, from everywhere. But Tatum was smart. He would never play until everybody else had played. He let them all play, and then he would sit down, and that, that was it. He washed them all away, mm. every one of them. But he had delicate hands to be a large man, very delicate. 
uh, uh, small, you know, and limber, thin. Uh-huh. He had a very light touch, didn't he? Yeah, you? oh, that man. I don't see how he did it. And I was right there with him. I, I don't see how he could do the things that he did with one hand, not two, just one hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's unbelievable, and guys up to this day can't, uh, can't do it. Mr. Grimes is right. There have been pianists who followed Tatum who had his speed, some who had his rhythmic sense, others his sense of harmony, and a few his touch. But there hasn't been anyone who put it together quite like Art Tatum. Anyone who has seriously approached piano playing and has heard Art Tatum must admit that his was the standard of excellence for pianists to try to live up to. We cannot close this program with any new footage of Mr. Tatum because we simply weren't able to come up with any. But we are fortunate to have this film of Mr. Jackie Byard, who by his own brilliance keeps alive the brilliant pianistic legacy of Art Tatum. Welcome back. And uh, that was a documentary put together by Gil Nobles uh, from the Like It Is uh, program uh, that was uh, broadcast and produced in New York City uh, for many, many years. Uh, that uh, focused, uh, particular segment focused on Artem and Phineas uh, Newborn Jr. You're listening to uh, the Pan African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Today is uh, Saturday, November 4th, uh, 2021. We are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, we're hosting this program in recognition of the annual Detroit Jazz Festival, 42nd uh, anniversary, which uh, this year, along with last year, uh, has been held virtually. Uh, it is streaming and uh, it is being broadcast over a television station as well as radio stations. And, of course, uh, this opens it up uh, to a worldwide audience. We'll take a break uh, with uh, Dinah Washington, and we'll be back with our concluding segment. I've got bad news, baby, and you're the first to know. This morning That my wig is about to blow Well, I've been rocking on my feet And I've been talking all out of my head Yes, I've been rocking on my feet And I've been talking all out of my head And when I get through talking 
I can't remember a thing I've said Now I used to be a sharpie All dressed in the latest style But now I'm walking down Broadway Wearing nothing but a smile I see all kinds of little men Although they're never there I try to push a subway train And put whiskey in my hair I'm a gal who blew a few I've got those blows I blew Five feet tall Today I'm eight feet ten Every time I fall downstairs I float right up again When someone turned the lights on me It like to drove me blind I woke up this morning in Bellevue But I've left my mind behind I'm a gal you can't excuse Cause I've got those blows Welcome back, uh, the voice of Dinah Washington, the legendary Dinah Washington with Blow Top Blues. And our final segment uh, is from uh, the CGTN Africa Live program for, from earlier today. And uh, we'll hear excerpts uh, from this program. Let's listen in. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Afghan media says at least 17 people have been killed and over 40 wounded amid celebratory gunfire in Kabul. Clashes between security forces and military reported in Libya's capital, Tripoli. And the Nigerian government urges former Boko Haram militiamen to return from Cameroon. Hello and a very warm welcome to you. This is Africa Live on CGTN. I'm Mahe Mutua in Nairobi. Also coming up... In business, Ethiopia collects $682 million in revenue from its mining sector in the 2020-2021 financial year. And volunteers in Ethiopia's Amhara region undertake military training as they prepare to defend the area. Again, the top of the hour in Afghanistan, where the main money exchange market in Kabul has now reopened. This comes a day after private money transfer agencies resumed operations there, allowing people to get money from abroad. 
banks and money exchange markets have been closed since the Afghan capital fell to the Taliban on August 15th, creating fears of an economic crisis. Meanwhile, anti-Taliban forces say fighting continues in the Panjshir Valley, the last holdout region since the group returned to power. The Taliban earlier said they've recaptured the area, claim resistance fighters have since denied. Amid conflicting reports, celebratory gunfire overnight has reportedly killed at least 17 people and wounded over 40. Meanwhile, the Taliban says it needs more time for consultations before it announces a new government. Abdul Hadi Dariz tells us more. There have been rumors and there have been sources who are saying regularly that the government is going to be announced on uh, very soon. Uh, it was expected yesterday that the government will be formed a new, um, a new cabinet in the, in the system and the, the type of government will be announced on Friday, especially the time after Friday prayer was something which was expected. But early in the morning yesterday, our source has confirmed that, that it is impossible for today, I mean yesterday on Friday, uh, some sources say that the government will be announced before 4th of September. Today we are on the edge of 4th September and uh, there is a, a source telling us, telling CGTN, that even today the government is not going to be uh, announced. One of the major problems uh, that could lead to, uh, to this that they don't want a hurry and they want a government which shall be inclusive of everyone. Every Afghan want to say, see their face in the new government. Also, the resistance in Panjshir Valley, uh, Valley can be the reason behind uh, not uh, announcing the new government. So there are several uh, reasons. Uh, the latest concrete information from our sources near Panjshir Valley is that, that the Taliban have entered the main, uh, the main valley. Uh, the two of the districts of Panjshir, uh, Panjshir province. Panjshir Valley is also uh, a province in the, uh, uh, in the geographical structure of Afghanistan. So two of the uh, districts, one from Andarab style, uh, from Andarab uh, uh, area of Baghlan province, uh, there, is, uh, there is a province there is a district called Faryan that is conquered by Taliban, that is uh, captured by Taliban, and so is another uh, district called Shutal. Well, in an interview with CCTV, a Taliban official said a new government would be announced soon. The Taliban have concluded the meeting on the formation of the new Afghan government. The names of the members of the new government will be announced in two to three days. The preparations for the announcement on the formation of the new government are underway in an orderly manner. It will be attended by domestic and foreign guests. Well, let's get more from Afghanistan ahead of that announcement. Zmari Alai Abbasin is standing by in Kabul with more on the latest developments there. Zmari Alai, we expect a new government to be announced any time now. What are you hearing on the formation of the new government? Hello. Uh, when it comes to the uh, forming of new government in Afghanistan, there are a few uh, very important issues related to the new government. The inclusive government, the uh, word inclusive is still an issue. 
There are consultation inside the country with different parties, intra-Taliban dialogue and consultation while with the parties and political figures. On the other hand, with international society, the uh, UN, UNAMA, European Union, and all of them are involved because it's about the international recognition for the Taliban, which seems to be very much important for the Taliban because if they want to govern, they must be a member of the international society. In uh, several vacations, Taliban have emphasized that they want the international recognition and also legitimacy. The Taliban spokesperson, Zabiullah Mujahid, uh, 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 told me that we cannot uh, tell about the date and time, but we are working on every angle, and the issues are very critical, very sensitive, and the details are so much. So yet, we cannot say that this week, three days, two days, that timing is not something accurate. According to the Taliban sources, we're talking to me, they said we are working on every format. We want a concrete government. A new system is uh, something modified. And they are working. With it, the structure by the Taliban is all set, but all the related parties, as I mentioned, are now under consultation and their uh, political office in uh, Doha and uh, 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 presidential palace in Kabul and different areas of the country like in so uh, southern Kandahar province in Helmand. There are still consultation with different parts. So yet, we have to wait till this week and everything will be far clear. And Zmaria Lai, the wait for the naming of this new government does come uh, against the backdrop of reports of a shooting incident in Kabul. What more can you tell us about this incident? Well, that was again something very panic for the people of central cities, particularly Kabul. And suddenly Taliban soldiers and their men started firing. I was just right here at the uh, place I'm talking with you and I was just running. And I, have, I had no idea. Like me, millions of people had no idea what was happening. I tried to contact Taliban spokesperson and other uh, officials, but they were not answering at those moments. We received just a short tweet from Taliban spokesperson Zabiullah Mujahid said, you have to thank God and this is not a good manner to shoot on the air because there is possibility that people will be wounded or injured. So stop it. And he said, it's a waste of national treasure and uh, armed men should, should stop this. After that, we received early in the morning the, uh, the casualty reports. Kabul Emergency Center for the uh, War Victims reported that at least 17 people were killed, including some children. Also, more than 20 injured. While we received same information from uh, uh, eastern uh, Nangrahar province, same in Masari Sharif and other provinces, there were injuries, fatalities and casualties because of all these firings. And then Mullah Yaqub, who is leading Taliban military sections, uh, and he is son of Mullah Muhammad Umar, who was former uh, uh, supreme leader of Taliban. He announced that after that, whoever shoot on the air, they will be punished. Their weapons will be gotten and they will be jailed. So the Taliban seems very much serious about this. But when it comes to their own men, that's what we see, undisciplined, unpolished style. And this is very much disgusting for the people of the country. And finally, uh, what is the latest you can tell us about the situation in the holdout Panjshir region?
Panjshir province is under surrounding of, of Taliban. Now it's fifth day that there have been very intensified clashes in conflict between the Taliban and the anti-Taliban forces known as resistant force. Led by Ahmad Massoud, son of Ahmad Shah Massoud and former vice president Amrullah Saleh. Now the situation in Panjshir Valley is very much critical. It's all surrounded five to six major areas and the main holdouts and hideouts of the resistance forces on uh, or now according to the sources under Taliban but the resistance force spokesperson Fahim Dashti and their other spokesperson uh, have been saying that everything is under control but the people that we have been in touch and they got out from Panjshir Valley told that a lot of places now under Taliban control and now uh, Bazarak which is the capital city of Panjshir is surrounded by the Taliban and also the police headquarters, the NDS uh, main hub and also all those hideouts. But let's don't forget that Panjshir has been very strategic area all along the history and it's not an easy take but since the Taliban are much uh, powerful now because they got all the cops, hundreds and thousands of vehicles even helicopters are now with the Taliban, so it would be difficult for the very uh, low number and a very narrow area of Panjshir for the resistance force, whether they claim they will fight till the end, but it would be difficult. The resistance force seek to delay the time and continue fighting and resisting till the winter, and it's too much time, and no one can expect that it will last like for a week or for a couple of days or even hours. So this is up to the situation and aggressive fighting continues inside Panjshir. All right, Maria Lai, thank you very much for your updates on Afghanistan's Maria Lai Abbasin speaking to us live there from Kabul. Well, the Taliban's leaders have promised to form an inclusive government, but many remain unconvinced, including the country's Hazara community. They've historically faced oppression and have been fleeing to Pakistan since the pa Taliban took control last month. Our correspondent Daniel Khan looks at their concerns. Most Hazaras are from the Shia sect of Islam, making them a minority in a predominantly Sunni Afghanistan. Sunni extremists like the Taliban and IS have long persecuted the Shia minority. With a population of over 6 million, Hazaras are the third largest ethnic group, which makes about 30% of Afghanistan's population. Many Afghans, particularly the minority groups like the Hazaras who have endured the worst of the Taliban's hardline policies in the past, are leaving their homes and entering Pakistan, saying they do not trust the Taliban's reassurances. 19 years old, Shahida says she escaped from Kabul just days before the city fell to the Taliban. A student of music at the Kabul University, she says her dreams have been shattered. When a Taliban came to Kabul, uh, there was no hope to uh, follow my dreams. They uh, will not accept music in Afghanistan. And it was really um, bad for me. And I need uh, help. It was uh, killing my dreams. As she shows us her video of playing guitar on a local Afghan television, her fears for her future are evident. Uh, I want to 
uh, go any uh, anywhere uh, with my family to continue my lessons and be a good musician. I want to show that Afghan people are also normal people. They're uh, not tourists at all. Uh, I will r really thank uh, uh, to everyone can help me. Shahida's family is just one of hundreds that found refuge in a mosque in Quetta's Hazara town. Anahita, who wanted to become a doctor and help her community, now finds herself in a desperate cycle of uncertainty. When the Taliban came to power, they promised a general amnesty for all Afghan citizens and vowed not to target women and minorities. But Anahita does not believe the Taliban have changed. No, no, no. Uh, as, I ex as I have experienced, they just say that they don't uh, kill anybody. They don't make violence, but they do. Their words are so different with their acts. With the departure of the last foreign troops from Afghanistan, there is a huge fear within the Hazaras. They say once the focus of the international media goes away from Afghanistan, the Taliban might go back to their old ways and attack the minority group with impunity. Daniel Khan, CGT and Quetta, Southwest Pakistan. Now, the United Nations Refugee Agency says a major humanitarian crisis is looming in Afghanistan. UNHCR says the situation in the Asian country is uncertain, with vulnerable Afghans seeking shelter across the country's borders. CGTN's Wilkista Nyabwa now reports. Speaking from Pakistan at a virtual briefing held in Geneva, UNHCR spokesperson Babar Baloch confirmed that more than 600,000 Afghans have been displaced this year. 80% of those displaced are mainly women and children. Baloch says the world should not turn away its attention or focus from Afghans and Afghanistan. Afghanistan has an internally displacement crisis that we have been trying to talk about. Uh, what we are emphasizing is that that uh, cannot be allowed to become a humanitarian catastrophe, and that's why we have been trying to uh, appeal to the world that don't turn away or your attention or focus at this stage uh, from Afghans and, and Afghanistan. If you look at the displacement numbers, 80% are women and children. And we know, I mean, Afghanistan is a landlocked country. If support, if trade is not going in through there, uh, we could be facing a major, major crisis. The UNHCR spokesperson also said that the agency has not yet seen a large refugee influx crossing over into Pakistan and Iran or other places. So we're still trying, trying to analyze in terms of why there are not many uh, people coming, there could be many, many reasons, uh, but the reality is the displacement crisis is inside Afghanistan. I mean, we are talking more than 600,000 Afghans that have been displaced during this year. Baloch's appeal follows UNHCR's repeated call on Tuesday for Afghanistan's neighboring states to keep their borders open to those fleeing Afghanistan. Well, let's turn to Libya now, where violent clashes between security and military formations erupted in the Salah Eddin area in southern Tripoli on Friday. Military sources say the clashes come after stability security forces
tried to storm a military camp of the 444th Brigade, which is aligned to the Libyan state. The United Nations support mission in Libya has expressed deep concern about the violence and has called for immediate calm and cessation of hostilities. Our colleagues at the UN mission in Libya today have been expressing their grave concern about the ongoing armed clashes, including the alleged use of indirect fire in Salah Hadin, a densely populated area in uh, the capital, Tripoli. The mission calls for the immediate cessation of hostilities and calls on all parties to exercise maximum restraint and remind all parties to, the, to this conflict of their obligations under international humanitarian law to support the protection of civilian and civilian infrastructure. Well, for more on that story, we're now joined by CGTN's Adele Makhrui, who joins us live from Cairo. Adele, what is the latest reaching you coming from Tripoli? Calm has been finally restored um, after almost 24 hours of continuous fighting from um, Friday early morning before dawn at 2 a.m. local time up until the same time um, earlier um, the next day on um, Saturday. Um, the clashes were, as we've just heard, very concerning in a populous area of Salah Hadin, south of Tripoli, and the clashes were mainly between um, two parties, both of them supposedly belong to a military force. Uh, basically, the um, stability supporting force, which is a group of armed uh, and military force that is managed by the Presidency Council, one of the two executive bodies that are sponsored and are a production of um, the UN-sponsored talks uh, in Libya. The other is Brigade 444, which is a military unit um, in a military base, but has some elements of militias involved in it as well. And basically the Presidency Council was trying to make sure that they would follow order after um, reported reports of violations within that brigade have been um, in abuse of power, abuse of use of arms, and also uh, embezzlement of uh, millions of dollars, uh, millions of, uh, of uh, Libyan dinars uh, have been reported. So this was a, a, an attempt to maintain management over the forces in the western part of the country. And Adele, looking at the reason behind this, why do we now seem to have rising incidents of these clashes there? It is highly expected that militias will be resisting following a unified government body. Currently, there are um, dozens of militias in Libya. Some of them are extremely powerful. They have access to huge arms, including heavy artilleries. They have huge access to finances, and they will be losing both of those um, powers if they follow a governmental body. And this is, of course, a leverage not many uh, are willing to give up um, and uh, follow government rules and go on fixed salaries, for instance, that's beside the lose of power uh, on the ground that they will be facing. And therefore, um, they fear being marginalized, they fear that once they let down or let go of their arms, the um, government could marginalize them, put them away from the military um, system or even from the political um, uh, life in Libya along with their tribes. That's why it's a huge struggle and it, is, it has been highly expected that these clashes will grow as Libya approaches the elections, as uh, the supposedly end of uh, militia life comes and becomes near. And this is, of course, a fragile situation, but Adele, what impact then will this have on Libya's political transition? It's extremely alarming. The UNSMIL, the support mission in Libya, says that it, it is gravely concerned with these developments, and it should. Elections 
should be held in December, we're talking in um, about four months from now, and security and maintaining stability for the country and for millions of citizens to go to the ballot boxes is essential. Now with these incidents happening, especially um, Fridays, which is the most violent day Libya has seen since um, the hostilities between the eastern and western forces came to a ceasefire, um, is quite alarming and it threatens um, Libyans, it threatens citizens. Salahdin is a very populous area and therefore it raises a lot of questions about how will Libya secure its elections. There are of course many hurdles ahead of that point even because Libyans on a political level have not agreed to hold elections, they have not agreed on the laws that should regulate the elections. But even if they do, there is now much bigger concern on the lives and the safety of the people who will vote. All right, Adele, thank you very much for bringing us all the... Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, Africa Live over CGTN, uh, broadcast uh, live uh, earlier today. And uh, that was from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. That is going to conclude uh, our program for today. You've been listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Anzikawe. We've been broadcasting live studios in downtown Detroit, and uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again uh, to our program. If you'd like to have access to uh, this program, as well as 1,000 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal, go to the Pan-African Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, all you can do is go to our website at panafricanews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with uh, Dinah Washington's selection of uh, classic um, jazz and blues uh, from Dinah Washington. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off. Have a beautiful week.
Thank you. 